0: What's up, guys? I want to introduce you to our sponsor, Carnivore. They're a beef protein isolate that changed the game as an alternative to whey and plant-based proteins. So if you got to have some lactose, some gut issues, this is definitely the protein you guys want to use. They also have some slamming
1: RTDs. Roger's drinking one right now. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Guys, for me, it's taste, 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 taste. I've been drinking RTDs for 20 years, been going to the gym for 20 years, tried everything under the sun carnivore is where it's at um this is the chocolate i love chocolate zero grams of fat zero grams of sugar zero lactose zero gluten um if you have any lactose uh, issues at all uh this is where it's at you want to try carnivore today guys don't forget 40 grams of protein in this if you're looking for a clean great tasting protein give carnivore a try today real show here we go real show you know that it's gotta be that time so this is what we chant what keeps on getting them all amped in advance you and i rocking out with iron man fe you get the general's point of view on top of roger's (laughs) we whenever it's happening out we're putting the most minutes in you already know what that's about you know that winners win crush whatever's on task check the podcast it's the champ and the trip let the bomb blast
2: All right, Andrew, I'm coming for you, bro. I'm coming for you. Sorry, bro. Thank you, dude. I'm sorry. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Frankie actually figured out. Frankie, Frankie coming but up. for the ready. answer, dude. <laughs> Wearing <laughs> the shirt and everything. Look at that. So whatever. Yeah. John, thank you for,
0: for <laughs> doing my show, man. You know, I waited. I waited till we weren't. I mean, we're still kind of bummy, but <laughs> I wanted to be a little more professional once I got the the, the best guy behind the mic that I know. Well, dude, it's uh it's an absolute honor to talk to both of you gentlemen. If Frankie
2: Edgar calls, you take that call every day of the week. I'm at my twin brother's house. I'm getting out of bedtime for my daughters tonight, which is kind of nice. But uh it's great to see you boys. I'm eight years into the podcast game and I don't have a
0: studio nearly as nice. So uh you guys look buttoned up and ready to go. This is in my basement. And, uh and look, you know, we did all right. We did all right. My wife actually did this.
2: She did a lot did of this. it. She yeah. did, yeah. Well, I'm in the process of trying to secure a space in South Florida. So as such, I'm kind of between studios trying to either do something at my house or the issue is like, if I do something out of my house, Frankie, like you're in your house, right? But if you go to a studio, then the three of us probably sit down in person, right? So that's what I'm battling with right now is like, do I get the greatest internet in the world at my house and do it at my house? Or do I go to 20 minutes away and Bo Nickel comes and sees me in two weeks? You know, that's what I'm grappling
0: with right now. So, I, I, can I give you what I think? I, I, think, I would love to have you on my couch here. You know, much more than than on Zoom. I think right. that's that's right. the best bet. If you can get in front of them, to me, it just makes the conversation flow better. You know, yeah. the awkwardness goes away.
1: A little more personal too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We we actually built this studio originally, John, and then uh, Frankie's wife Renee found like a water leak or mold or something completely gutted the entire room tore it down and had it rebuilt herself in a week yeah it was crazy
2: unbelievable no it looks great and I've been following you guys from afar it's like I feel like I know your children both of you guys right because of social media so uh it's gonna be able to chop it up with you guys amidst this crazy
0: UFC circus you know that that has become my life yeah man that is uh quite the work schedule um how is that how, how like what's the hard? I mean I know the answer to this what's the hardest thing about that
2: well you know we have 28 fighters this weekend right so trevor peak was a guy that i did a deep dive on today right but it's like how much time am i devoting to each individual athlete right as i get ready to call their fight never mind everything else that encompasses the job right the television formatics that i won't bore you with right but every little locker room shot of frankie edgar that we're trying to maximize before he comes out there right oftentimes that stuff is written and it's written by me and it's written during fight week likely the night before the show So never mind all of that. My biggest focus, my biggest anxiety is fighter preparation. And, you know, these fucking guys, McMader and Sean Shelby in a COVID-19 climate, they give me 15 fights, right? 30 fighters, right? So if you give every fighter 45 minutes or an hour, you guys do the math. It's a lot. And sometimes you want to give them more than that. So it's the devil I know, but it's an eight-hour broadcast oftentimes with 30 fighters in a week. And uh, I don't know that I'll ever maximize myself in this role right i don't know that we'll ever have a perfect show but i really do try to uh be as prepared as humanly possible even like for the fighter meetings on wednesday right i gotta walk in there and make sure that uh you know if a guy has changed states or training camps that i'm not in the dark on that stuff so i take it very seriously perhaps too seriously but uh it's the devil i know and and i have the job i want i'm just trying to fucking keep it you know
0: i mean it shows the work you put in shows i mean i see that notebook you carry around with you and uh yeah i mean. You you're the standard. I think across all sports. You you you're you're a guy. Well, thank
2: you, buddy. It's uh it's a privilege. It really is, right? Like I'm not a lifelong martial artist. I hated jujitsu. Sorry, Popop. I'm never coming back. He thinks I'm coming back. So if he listens to uh Champ and the tramp, then uh, I'm never coming back. But no, it's uh it's a tremendous challenge, but it's also like a tremendous responsibility and one that I'm so happy to be entrusted with, right? Like obviously, I think I cut my teeth the right way in terms of being the number two guy for the UFC on the play-by-play side and going to Brazil 27 times and learning the bottom half of the roster and doing it the right way. And uh, so when it came time for me to call the championship fights, I think I was ready. And those are big moments that uh, need to withstand the test of time. And although I don't plan what I'm going to say, I want to make sure that I elevate the moment and don't take away from it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, there aren't a lot of dinners and there aren't a lot of whiskeys during these fight weeks, you know, because there's a lot to fucking do.
0: A lot to do, a lot to forget. <laughs>
2: huh. well, that's why I write everything down. I mean, people say, oh, you're you're calling Frankie's fight. You don't need to prep Frankie. It's like, dude, I don't remember what I did yesterday. You know, never mind exactly when he knocked down all of these people and when that all happened, right? So like if I was calling Frankie's fight, right, right now, I would watch his last fight to be sure, and then I rewrite his fighter card so that a lot of his UFC history and things that maybe he said to me in past fighter meetings or conversations, That stuff is more committed to memory because I'm handwriting it all out so that when he's fighting, right, Frankie's style is such. I don't have a lot of time to fucking look down at my notes. He's moving around like the Energizer bunny, right? So I got to commit some of that stuff to memory, and my way of doing that is during fight week, obviously, to handwrite it all in this exhaustive process that has become sort of a system over the years.
1: Yeah, I've seen you highlight that on your Instagram talking about the the notes of you, you know a cue card basically on every fighter. So you you use that same cue card. You just add to it if as as a fighter has a new fight coming up. Is, is
2: no, I make a new card for every single fight, and so and that's really the the process that helps. Well, I happen to have them right here. Um, but yeah, so like Trevor Peak, I've never called this fight before, and I know some people are just listening to your show. But on the video side, this is the Trevor Peak fight card and so today you know this kid i mean you know good southeasterner you know he just has a lot of good quotes and uh you know he was like a wild visionless kid and uh like one of the greatest street fighters in ufc history i mean you guys would appreciate this kid like tons of street fights you know first time he ever fought uh chattanooga tennessee would have no he's an alabama kid uh but basically the first time he competed 15 years old it was an unsanctioned event he thought it was a street fight and uh it ended up being an event, but no, I enjoy like a lot of that process, but no, yeah, I, I cheat off the old notes, Raj, but I don't, I don't use that card. I, I create a new card for for every single fight.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand how much you you put into it. Ever feel like you're at a disadvantage? I, I didn't know you trained at all. I just heard you shout out. I think you said you're a jiu-jitsu coach, but uh I mean obviously the panel up there with you, it's the who's who of, of fighter. You got Bisping, you, you got Rogan trains. Obviously, he's not a professional fighter, but trains ever feel like you're at a disadvantage in just knowing um, you know, submissions or 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 holds or or you ever feel like you're at a disadvantage or you're just very confident that you're you're so well researched. Your, uh... No, I think
2: that's a, a great question, very much at a disadvantage and always will be analytically, right? I mean, there are guys who are still – like I'm not an analyst, Roger, right? I'm a play-by-play guy. Now, sometimes that line in MMA is blurred a little bit and you'll hear me editorialize, right? Like analysts aren't even supposed to be calling out jabs or strikes necessarily. That would be the play-by-play guy, and then those guys explain what the hell is happening. I remember my first time calling fights with UFC 2011-12 – and, you know, Craig Borsari and Dana White are basically like, you know, when the fight hits the canvas, just shut the fuck up and let the analysts take over. And that's really the message, right? Because as good as I could get, right, even if I had some goal to become a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu blue belt or even to get some stripes on my white belt, right? I wouldn't be leaning into that. Right. I I would be leaning away from that just because that's not what my role is. And I've always tried to stay in my lane. And even though I've accrued a lot of knowledge over the years, especially when it comes to the striking game, you know, I took boxing lessons for a year and a half back in the day, but I'm not necessarily paid to, uh, to give that type of knowledge or impart that type of stuff. Even if I feel, uh, plenty confident, sometimes you might even hear me ask a question rhetorically, uh, in a clinch situation, what's he trying to do here? I might know the answer, but uh, I'm speaking to an audience that's ever-changing, and our fan base, I feel like, turns over every three or four years. So, uh, yeah, I try to stay in my lane, but, yeah, I'll always know my place, right? I always know that uh, I'll be at a disadvantage, and that is fine with me.
0: You're complimentary towards that towards the stuff, though, you know, in that way, a little bit of, the you know, you give some energy to the show, uh, to the broadcast. I feel like you keep guys together, especially there's some, like, I'll, I'm not, not going to rat nobody out or something, but ha! there's definitely some egos up there. You can see it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say names, but you could see it happening. You could hear it happening during fights. And uh, yeah, like you do a good job of, uh, you know, being like the, uh, the middleman in that, in that. Well, in that. thank you, buddy. Uh,
2: I, uh, I can always control my energy. So I appreciate you saying that, right? Because as, as poor as I may feel, or if I don't feel particularly thoughtful with my words on a given night, I can always control my energy, but yeah, bro, a lot of different personalities in that broadcast booth. It's sort of untraditional, right? I probably work with 15, 16 different combinations over the years. And, uh, you know, I think at times I pine to have more of a regular broadcast team. I certainly wish Rogan would do all the pay-per-views and meet me in Vancouver, but I understand why, uh, why he doesn't necessarily do that at this stage of his life and career, and power to him. When Joe's in the booth, it adds a totally different dynamic, and I think it heightens and elevates the whole show. And I think most rooms would agree with that, you know? And he's still absolutely on top of his game. I think he's having more fun, if I can say that, than he's ever had before. Uh but yeah man you know it's massaging a lot of different personalities and if you think about me you know I'm oftentimes the oldest man in the room these days right but think about me my second year with the UFC getting a call on short notice to work UFC 155 with Joe Rogue. Uh, on, I got called uh, yes filling in on 3 days notice you know and I wouldn't call another pay-per-view for 5 years or so thereafter right but You know, not that I was freaking out, you know, I was much more freaking out when I had the chance to do a college football game on 10 days notice in 2015, when I couldn't name fucking 10 college football players. Call me for the NFL. I'm good. College football assignment was really tough, but no, I was a little bit, uh, freaking out. I had had interactions with Joe and it wasn't that I was starstruck per se, but I'm sharing the broadcast space and booth with this absolute legend. And you know, you just sort of lean into your strengths and, uh, it couldn't have gone much better. And I feel like, you know, we kind of picked up where we left off. However, many years later when we became broadcast partners, but, um, you know, you just kind of got to deal with all these different situations and booths. And, uh, I love all these guys. Like I have different relationships with all these guys. You know, oftentimes I say Dom Cruz is probably the guy that I spend the most time with and that I'm closest with on the road. You know, Brian Stan for many years was that guy. And then he fucking left me at the altar. But uh, what a privilege for a guy like me, right? A non-professional athlete to get the chance to rub shoulders with, uh with all these guys.
1: Yeah. How crazy is it that, that Joe Rogan, the fear factor guy is, is at the success level that he's at now? I mean, probably the most listened to guy on the internet right now. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's insane. And, and I think he walks that line really well. Joe walks that line. He's, he's kind of middle. He doesn't really pick and choose a side, you know? So uh, we're huge Rogan fans over here, of course. Yeah.
2: Well, he's highly listenable, right? And oftentimes when people will compliment our work, I just say, well, thank you humbly because like, we're just trying to be as listenable as possible over eight hours, right? We're trying to not get in the way of the fucking live sporting event. Truthfully, at the end of the day, and not a show goes by where some fighter or some coach or some fan isn't upset with something that one of us has said. Uh, and for me, increasingly, not a podcast goes by where somebody isn't upset, and uh, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. But he has navigated being one of the most famous men in the world so graciously and so gracefully, and his success is not surprising to those. Who are close to him, right? Like his words, just his words, complimentary words about me as a, a broadcast partner have like changed my life, right? Like he has the power to change so many lives, uh, with his words and his deeds. And uh, not unlike Dana White, these guys are philanthropic, but they don't scream from the rooftops about every good deed that they do, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope he sticks around forever. I think he'll probably outlast me. We'll see.
1: He's, I think he's going on record that says when Dana's done, he's done, right? I think that's what he, he always has said. So
2: Taking, I think I think moment. they're yeah. gonna be
1: around for a bit. Yeah,
2: I do too. I it's so funny when when I read. Oh, Rogan, you know, hopefully those guys are around forever. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouths, but uh, those guys obviously stir the drink, and uh, I think they're here for the long haul.
1: So, uh, what's the what's the story? I, I mean, it's it's a well told story, but can can we see it? Where's the two o nine tattoo? Obviously, you lost a bet with. Uh, oh, it's right on the inside. Oh, I didn't lose a bet. Careful with the verb. We didn't lose the
2: bet, right? But there it is. So uh yeah, we've told
1: you and Kenny yeah. Florian, I thought had a bet. So okay, walk walk us through it then. How did it happen?
2: So I've never done any tattoo bet unless it was a tattoo that I wanted to get or could see myself getting, right? The first tattoo bet we did on the Anakin Florian podcast was if Betch Koheya beat Ronda Rousey, I was gonna get the Brazilian flag tattooed on my body. Now that wouldn't have been a tattoo for Betch Kohea the way the two oh nine tattoo was for the Diaz brothers, but that would have been a nod to Brazil and my affinity for that country and its people and how many live events I did there in 2013 the year of Vitor Belfort like for me the brazilian flag would have been a special tattoo right so connor mcgregor and nate diaz are getting ready to fight and nate diaz of course is coming off a of vacation and uh so yeah i was trying to bring attention to the podcast but i also related very much to the diaz brothers nick was always my favorite fighter i had always wanted to get a tattoo and uh, you know Maybe uh, putting something in the air in the morning, and I thought, this is a great idea. We're going to do a tattoo bet on the podcast, so I called Kenny Florida. He thought I was crazy. Uh, My wife just thinks I'm an idiot every other day, which is fine, so uh, we did the tattoo bet. Now, keep in mind, I was the number two play-by-play at the the time. I wasn't even covering this live event. I was going to be watching from home, not even on the desk, right? and nobody listened to my show. Right. So I, I did not think that this was going to surface on Nate Diaz's radar during fight week. And he was going to say, if John Anik, you know, doesn't get a fucking two on nine tattoo, I'm going to whoop his little ass. And, you know, he took to Twitter and took exception to me sort of making a prediction on the fight. And that was part of the issue, right back then on our show, I was actually picking fights. That's the last fight I've ever gone on record as picking, right? Because my man, Craig sorry, called me and, uh, you know, effectively changed the course of history that day. But no, I thought that maybe I was going to get in trouble. And uh, I think at that time, it was probably the most I had ever done to help, you know, push a pay-per-view, you know? So it was a crazy week for, for me and my family. Once Nate was upset about it, I had determined that I was going to get the tattoo, whether he won or lost. Obviously it was a better story when, uh, when he won the fight to actually get the tattoo. Uh, but I think it, it felt a little bit misunderstood at times. And I had to sort of bury the hatchet with Nate. You know, I was pretty anxious for that first encounter with Nate Diaz. Right. But I think he understood. And, you know, I had a lot of, uh, goodwill established with like the scrap pack and Gilbert Melendez. So I think they felt like it came from a good place. And, um, here we are several years later and, you know, as Frankie, well, my twin brother still believes that I owe the world this FE tattoo. Now, we're going to get the tattoo. Maybe I should just say it here and now. We actually almost had an appointment with this fine line tattoo artist in New Jersey. We were actually going to go from New Jersey to New York. Right, exactly. So it was UFC 288 actually in May. But this particular fine line tattoo artist, you got to have all your ducks in the row, boys. And I'm getting ready to call a pay per view. And we did not have our ducks in a row. But the FE tattoo, no bet it's still coming
1: that's, <laughs> all that's right, amazing all right, all right Nate actually gave you a pass though right post fight he said you don't have to get it you got it anyway right oh I had to and I wanted the tattoo like at the end of the day if
2: you hook me up to a lie detector like I I don't know if maybe at the time a, a little bit younger me wanted the attention that came with it or wanted to feel what a tattoo felt like but I've always like number like I thought getting a 209 tattoo sounded like a fucking great idea and I still stand behind it you know so <laughs>
1: What's, what's your what's your take on Nate outside of, uh, you know, the MMA uh, ring like he obviously gets in a little bit of trouble out there. He loves smacking people. What What is your take on uh, maybe we don't have to talk about Nate in particular, just fighters in general getting into scraps outside of the MMA forum, outside of the ring.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. He seems, and- he
1: seems to be the guy that gets in the most of them. That's why I bring him up.
2: Yeah. I mean, part of the reason why I have this tattoo is because those guys are relatable to whatever degree to a lot of us. And even though I didn't grow up similarly, right. Necessarily. Right. I think, I think there's a lot of components to the way they go about their business being the real article, you know, um, not being afraid to bring cannabis into situations where it was not accepted for years. Right. And I think for a lot of us, we were able to relate to that, you know, um, but I, you know, I do chalk a lot of this up to uh, to self-defense. Yeah, some of it might be street fighting. We just talked about this great street fighter who's fighting in Jacksonville this weekend, you know, um, but I don't have a huge problem with it. You know, I really, I really don't, you know, uh, and especially if you're talking about like recent footage, um, you know, Ilya Topuria, who is main eventing this weekend, right, was in an altercation where someone approached him at an arcade and he landed three flush right hands and I'm having a fighter meeting Raj with him on Wednesday. Like, am I supposed to ask him about that? Right. Like, is that, is that part of the discourse and the lead up to this fight? Like, Hey, what happened in January? Like I was going to maybe see if my producer wanted to broach it, but it's certainly not at the top of my list. You know, I think the kid deserved to get pounded out.
0: Yes. My thing is, why do people get mad at fighters for fighting? Like this is what we do, you know? Right. 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 We before, I mean, we did it before, before, before the case, agreed. Probably going to do
1: it after the agreed. case. Agreed. You know, agreed.
0: Yeah, no, the The one, the one, uh, the one Logan Paul looking there. Jake, the, no, Logan Paul yeah, looking the, guy. They
1: look like yeah. He
0: put him out. I mean, dude, yeah. post him. Look like he wanted some business. Yeah, yeah, handling yeah. himself. Yeah, two oh nine, baby,
2: come on. No, I know. Well, and I, it's funny too because we've talked a lot on our podcast recently about like in Florida, we're always wearing flip flops, right? And I've started to wear sneakers a little bit more. Just so that I'm ready, not that I'm any great threat, but I'm more of a threat when I'm wearing fucking sneakers that would have been wearing flip flops all the time. You know, just ask your car close. Right. Getting pushed by Jeremy Stevens and getting a concussion to it. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to me, even the Joe Schilling thing that is particularly violent. It's like Joe's ready to go, man. But, Joe's uh, ready to go. What state was, it? was
0: that in Florida? I think it was in Florida. Was it? I don't know. Does it stand your ground state.
1: And that's You
0: won the case. That's what, ground, that's what I'm telling you. You know,
1: easier
2: <laughs> to stand your ground in sneakers and flip-flops, Joe yeah, and this true. And this is
1: true. I think Matt Sarah was in flip-flops when he was uh just basically holding the guy down on the ground in the restaurant oh, there. I think he was in, in Vegas, Vegas yeah. yeah. But I think he was in flip-flops But I remember. Yeah. But I would encourage your viewers and your listeners, check out the Ilya
2: Topodia video, right? Because if you've seen this kid, right, he's such a good example of somebody who lo- looks unassuming and handsome, and will absolutely murder you if you give him twelve seconds in an arcade, you know. So it was pretty funny. I'll probably bring it up just because of this conversation for you boys on uh, on Saturday night. Oh uh, yeah. So
0: what you did some uh, you did some fights at uh, Gettysburg some uh, for Rush Week.
2: Yeah. So we had a tough man competition, which was basically, uh, used to draw people into the fraternity. And so my senior year, I got to referee this event was a, which was a real thrill. I have to say more thrilling than actually competing as a junior, but yeah, I mean, essentially I got called out, um, by this six foot two inch, you know, freshman who smoked like a pack of butts a day. And my, my lungs weren't necessarily crystal clean, but Uh, I definitely had the cardiovascular edge and I felt like I could outlast him, but whole newfound respect for martial artists and combat sports athletes, because that was the most exhausting nine minutes of my life. So much so that I think that effect change changed with the format. We went to two minute rounds the following year, right? Because round three is two guys in lacrosse gloves and helmets. I think we were wearing with uh, our hands on our knees, but yeah, you just try to destroy and you'd get very rarely. Would you get like somebody knocked out cold, right? Because of the lacrosse helmets, but sometimes you get guys get all cut up with the gear. And uh, it was certainly our most wild event. And yeah, it was my only sort of, you know, unsanctioned competition like that. And we're one and oh boys. We're one on one on the streets. One on one on the streets and uh, and then one to know in whatever. Hey, That's
0: a winning record to me. Ah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people don't know. I didn't know until today. You have a twin brother. You mentioned it earlier, but didn't uh, I didn't know that until today. But uh, I, I saw I tuned into a little bit of his podcast. He says that oftentimes but he, he's got the hair. I'm sure you could grow a good head of hair, too, if he's your twin. But uh so I guess that's what separates you guys. But he still gets recognized as being you quite often. And like, does, he ever, does he ever? Does that's he ever? Does he ever? Dumbass people, though. That's a no, He's got they hair. See yeah, they yeah. see you on
0: Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh my God, he grew hair. <laughs> yeah.
2: Dude, I got to say, I got it. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson came up to my twin brother in Miami just recently in April and was like, bro, I love what you've done with your hair. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, WB, I love you, but do you know how long it's been? He hasn't gotten a haircut since Colby Covington, Robbie Lawler in Jersey in 2019. It's been four years, you know. Um, But, yeah, it's sort of weird, right, because just as we've gotten older, it seems like we look more alike, even though his hair goes down to his ass and I, by choice, shave my head every two or three days. But I think as we get older, we're almost aging similarly and look even more alike so gosh man everywhere we go now the identical twin thing is something that we have to deal with much more than i have to deal with like being a public figure it's like people think the twin thing is weird and it fucking is like monozygotic identical twins like us like it is weird like even someone like joe rogan who's seen it all when he sees me and my brother together with the same mannerisms and acting the same having the same responses if you guys had him on next week you'd be like we did this already you know uh, i'm a little tougher obviously you can see but um but no i mean yes i could grow a full head of hair it's funny because you know with rogan and dc they oftentimes you know the three eggheads and whatever else but yeah i mean we could grow a full head but we like that high and tight like
0: frankie Edgar, you, know. you ever play any tricks on teachers or or or, or chicks? No, because I mean, it was almost like, well, you could get
2: like it'd be like, yeah, I could go into his Spanish class. Right. And they would have no clue. But it's like then I'm sitting in a Spanish class. Right. And what am I what am I doing here? Right. So we could. But the girls always would know a mile away. And uh, as I said, I got a little bit harder exterior, even though there are a lot of similarities. I feel like back then. I was, uh, I don't know. I just, I was trying to be a tough guy. I was wearing like, you know, Jinko jeans and big starter jackets and bandanas on my head and listening to hip hop and freestyle rapping every minute I could. Like, I, I don't know. I was, uh, (laughs) had an interesting few years there in my formative years in high school. So I don't know.
1: (laughs) Boston, right? You grew up in Boston.
2: Yeah. Metro West Boston area. But yeah, I was born in the city and, uh, yeah, I lived the first 31 years of my life in Massachusetts. So, wow, you're a Boca guy now. Gosh, that sounds awful, right? It's like, you know, um, takes you like 75 minutes to get a pack of gum at CVS because the average age is like 71, you know. Uh, no, I mean, I do feel like eventually we'll end up in the Northeast. Like we never thought we would raise kids in Florida. And, um, you know, I hate to say it's like, culturally vacant but i just went on a trip where i was in my home city of boston and then i went to vancouver and then you come back to south florida and it just doesn't feel like the place that i'm going to raise my kids long term so uh you know my wife's from connecticut new york and uh obviously my roots are northeastern so as much as i hate the snow and the cold and as soft as i am uh i do think eventually we'll make our way back up there
1: there you go
0: i'm so i don't know man i don't know <laughs> well I, no i think I, about going south sometimes
2: <laughs> no i mean we're Uh, We're talking out of both sides of our mouths, but, uh, no, I don't know, man. It's just like South Florida after a while. It's just, uh, Miami heat people everywhere. I just got to
0: get the fuck out of here. You know, I feel, I feel like I feel like the, like the South Florida, East Coast of Florida is just it's just Jersey, but hot. You know what I mean? They're no, it is. people from New York, New Jersey, East Coast and down there just hot now. That And because it's packed as hell down there, too. Yeah,
2: it is. And yeah, there's a lot of Jersey and Boston and New York flair down here. But I will say, even though we're in June and you can go to the beach almost anywhere, like my wife and I went to the beach today for 45 minutes. Right. And in Florida, that's something you can do year round and it's a tremendous luxury we lived in vegas for a while so to now have that luxury and to not be landlocked is uh is a pretty great thing and yeah you're right i, mean, I probably wouldn't last too long if we went back to the northeast but i think that tug will always be there yeah something about it yeah
0: and you you don't hear a you don't hear a boston accent now at all you got work on that sometimes i'll let it bleed on the broadcast a little bit uh
2: but yeah, we got UFC 292 coming up on August 19th. So we'll see if we can't uh, drop a few TD gardens on them. But uh, no, I mean, I didn't grow up with my dad's from Seaford, New York. Right. So I grew up with one New York accent in my house. And then my mother didn't have much twang, but my dad still to this day talks like a New Yorker. Uh, But I guess I just wasn't surrounded by a lot of people who spoke uh, with that accent. So uh, I didn't necessarily pick it up, but certainly when I drink, it comes out. And uh, there are plenty of people who,
1: Oh, something happened. I don't know if that was. Sorry, it looked like I muted for a second. You
2: Um, there, there are people who be like, "Oh, I hear your Boston accent." I'm like, "Well, you don't know a fucking Boston accent because I don't fucking talk with one, you know." But I can turn it on. That's one accent that I can turn on if I have to. And uh, when people say they don't like it, then we just we just turn it up. Turn it Ah! up. (laughs) (laughs) You were in the movie Warrior. Yes. In 2010 or 11, it was a few days before my wedding. So I sent my poor wife to Massachusetts by herself so I could be in the movie, but yeah, it was a tremendous thrill to get the script and know that like our show MMA live was going to be used as a conduit through which to advance the story in the movie. So we would have more than one scene. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool, man. It was really cool. It was, uh, it was a little bit more cool than roadhouse, you know, 11 or 12 years later when they called my number again, you know, um, But yeah, it's always neat to be able to do things like that. And So uh, you're,
0: wait, Roadhouse,
2: when does that come out? Hold up. I don't know. Uh, We filmed it at UFC 285
0: in March, I believe. I I seen that. And I had a a Roadhouse (laughs) and UFC, you know what I'm saying? I don't get it. So I'm getting a little bit older, right?
2: So it was happening during like the same time that a ceremonial weigh-in was happening. So I see these athletes being delayed to whatever degree. And I'm like... Losing my mind a little bit about, you know, to hell with the movie. Let's get these athletes in and out of here. And thankfully, the UFC recognized that and they flipped the script on Hollywood and got the athletes to the stage. And then we filmed the movie. But no, I mean, there's just I don't know. There's just a lot that goes into these UFC pay-per-views. So I wasn't necessarily in the right mental space when I was filming the movie. And, uh, you know, there were certain things, I guess, the night after uh when jake gyllenhaal is in the octagon and they're staging this scene right and i'll harken back to warrior right some of the issue with warrior was the glorification of the violence and staging things in mma ground and pound that is so glorified and so superficially beyond anything that would happen in an octagon you know that go so far beyond a referee stoppage and then in roadhouse right like jake gyllenhaal gets pulled off by chris Tanyoni in the movie and then he goes back in. So Jay Haran goes out on a stretcher, right? So Jake Gyllenhaal does something in this movie that would essentially get him a lifetime ban in mixed martial arts. So as an MMA guy, I'm hoping that that's not in the movie, you know? So uh, I don't know. Whereas Warrior, I was just like so excited. Whereas when Roadhouse happened, I was excited for John Jones at UFC 285, you know? And I say that with all due respect to the great crew and cast, and I hope they put my scene in the movie. But uh, it was a
0: lot. It was a lot. We did. A, I did a kickboxer too. I played a commentator on kickboxer too, and they filmed it in the middle of a world series of fighting fight. The, oh uh, yeah. Marlon so Marlon you... fought. I went quartered Marlon and then put my suit on and did did a scene. And then they let the fights go back on. You make me want to go watch kickboxer too. <laughs> I, I don't know. I
1: don't know. I don't you... know. What do you guys. <laughs> Not that good. <laughs> so uh, obviously you guys are in the business. What do you think the best MMA movie of all time is? Oh, Is it, does Warrior make the list? Yeah, I
2: think, I think Warrior did. was great. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I was going to ask you guys that question when you brought up Warrior because there was a sequel written, uh, but the movie didn't do particularly well. Yes, Nick Nolte, I believe, won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, but the movie, relative to Lionsgate's expectations, I don't think it did great, uh, but the sequel was ready to go, so I'm glad you acknowledged it's a great movie. I thought it was great, you know?
0: Yeah, big-time actors. Uh it was cool. Yeah.
1: What else? What other movies? Are, 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 what was the one? I, I believe it's boxing, not MMA, but the guy he he you know he always puts his head down. He's says, "Top of the head, hardest." The old man's oh, glad in it. was classic. That was a good that one. Was great. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, Raging Bull
0: Junior was in.
2: Raging Bulls, is probably my favorite yeah. combat sports movie. But. Uh, oh
0: no way!
1: Power. No way. Oh John, you there? Yeah, I
2: hear you
0: guys. Holy pa- shit, I think power. the power
1: just went out. A little power surge? Yeah. Power surge or power go out? The power came right back yeah. on if it went out. Oh, I got a generator. Oh, generator. We're on generator power, I think, now. Look at this guy. I mean, look at the future UFC Hall
2: of Famer, Frankie Edgar. Hey, Frankie, you got your Hall of Fame speech ready yet? Probably not, but uh,
0: you better get cracking. Yeah, I definitely don't. I definitely Dude, don't.
2: as nervous as any combat sports athlete could get, For a fight. Can you guys can hear
0: me, right? yep, yep. We're back.
2: That setting before you go out to accept your hall of fame induction, right? Like Dustin Poirier accepted like a Toyo tires community service award last year. Right. And even that I think was, nerve inducing for him right never mind you going up there with all your kids and have it, and i'm not trying to like psych you out or anything but it's a huge huge mo- well bro i'm doing it but i'm doing it to myself right because like i'm moving a mile a minute in my head all the time right and i got to do this hall of fame i got to host this thing once a year and it's like totally out of my comfort zone i have to slow my whole cadence down right i'm reading a teleprompter i'm in this big hall i'm in like a black tie outfit right and even for me, dude, like I've been doing this for 20 years and I get up in front of this Hall of Fame podium and it's like, fuck, not this again. You know, it's yes, it's uh, yes, it's uh, it's a crazy week. It really is. But uh, no, I'm thankful to do the Hall of Fame thing. It's outside my comfort zone and it, it helps me develop skills And it helps give me confidence, like going into the rest of the weekend. But uh, but no, it'll be
1: great to have you up there whenever uh, when they call uh, you. Obviously, right. We all know Frankie's going to be in it. I mean, it kind of just goes. uh, But how does that work? Walk me through that. Do you get a call one day? Does Dana pick up the phone and be like, hey, buddy, welcome to the, you know, you don't know, John, do you know know how it works? How does that work? (laughs)
2: Well, so I think you've seen some of the uh, the reveals, the revelations on broadcast right at times when maybe we've given uh, like Jen's pulver. I don't know if you saw that moment where he found out live so it's not out of the realm of possibility that they would try to uh you know maybe have frankie at a live event and uh and they just did and
1: i i was thinking to myself this is gonna be it but it it didn't it didn't happen
2: (laughs) yeah well this class is uh this class is overflowing but uh it's an eventuality i think we all we all recognize that you know so
0: in time in time we'll see In time yeah
2: and your speech will be fine, you know? I got plenty of advice for you, you know? Just don't go Uriah Faber 29 minutes and you're good. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll be short I'll seat, just kidding. maybe, come on. Wait, did he really? But you see what I mean? How, like, you know, like, I say something like that and then the next thing you know, I fucking wake up to, like, an MMA website being like, Annex smashes Faber's Hall of Fame speech. So, um, No, but it's tricky. It's not like the Oscars where you can tee up some music and escort the guy off the stage, you know? Like, you deserve the time, right? But... You also have to recognize that if you keep it to a quarter of an hour, you can really have the audience by the balls and produce something memorable. When you start to bleed that 15, 20 minutes, um, you know, you start to lose some people is all.
1: Yeah, I think that's the way with almost everything. Best man speech. You know, I think shorter is always better. Right. It's never, never good. When you get long winded, people just start to zone out. (laughs) Well, I asked Joe
2: Rogan once, how do you determine how long you're going to do a podcast? And he can end it at any time, right? So if you're one of the guys who's been on his show and it's been a shorter episode, you know, don't take that as a an insult necessarily, right? But he can end the show at any time. Like, I don't know how you guys do your show. And hopefully we're still a- entertaining the fuck out of the masses at this stage of the program. but. We are mindful of that on our show, right? Like we would, generally speaking, if you're doing a thesis statement, we'd rather keep them wanting more than sit there and pontificate for two or three hours, you know, um, but to each his own.
0: Yeah. You get asked to speak at like, any speaking engagements or anything like that?
2: Not really. Uh, I certainly would, uh, would love to, you know, go back to some of the institutions that I've attended. If, uh, if I had the chance at some point in time, you know, I taught at the Connecticut school of broadcasting for a time and I absolutely love that, but no, not a lot of speaking, uh, opportunities necessarily. I don't have a ton of time schedule wise to do that stuff. And they, you know, when you're taking a fee, you better fucking prepare too. you know, like you take that shit really seriously. And, um, You know, like I'll tell you guys, like we never had a writer for many years for uh, like this Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It's the only thing I do all year in which I have a writer that helps me with that process. So, yeah, it's great. Oh, it's it's incredible. Right. I mean, using the English language in such a. a a profoundly effective way with all these words that no i mean it's cool when you can make somebody else's words your own and i do edit the final script but uh i wonder am i allowed to reveal the ghostwriter i probably can't
1: the ghostwriter your delivery is always perfect whoever helps you your delivery it's the delivery that that gets the recognition i think you know
2: I had a really embarrassing moment on that Hall of Fame podium several years ago. I made the mistake of drinking a cold beverage backstage, and I was trying to introduce Dan Henderson when his fight with Shogun who was being inducted, and my vocal cords froze. and The music guy saved me. Uh, but it's a pretty embarrassing moment on UFCFightPass.com if you want to check it out. I'm completely choking. I can't get Dan Henderson out. And uh, yeah, I went down a rabbit hole that night of like what you can and can't have for your voice. And uh, no, in that setting, like I always feel like I'm just capable of just fucking brutalizing it uh, because it's it's just formal and stuffy and serious. And I'm OK with that, but it's just a very different tone than we're normally striking.
1: And mm-hmm. we were talking a little while ago about Nate, the two and I tattoo, and you knew at some point you're going to have to interview him How about Colby Covington, because that guy's also said some things. I mean, first of all, I think it's, you know, pretty much conclusive at this point that the guy is, you know, he's playing a role, but um. Talk some shit. I think you said something to the effect of you live in Boca now. I live in Miami. I'm not that far away. You can get it or something. Have yeah. you have you seen Colby? Have you interviewed him since that whole thing? And and does he does he play the part or before you guys go into the interview, does he say, hey, listen, man, I want to you know, does he, does he does he does he tell you it's an act or does he play it up? So some great questions. I'm very curious to see how
2: the next fighter meeting with Colby Covington will go. I have every expectation that he will afford me the opportunity of that fighter meeting. And yeah, when he came out and said something to the effect of, you know, my kids were going to grow up without a dad or something, you know, I didn't think much of it because to your point, he was playing a role, uh, but I did have to, uh, pursue a conversation with him because ultimately at the end of the day, it's about the professional athletes. It's not about me. And, um, I don't say that to gain fans, but I needed to make sure that I hadn't said something that was off putting to him. Right. Yes, I was supporting Bilal Muhammad's candidacy, but not because he hosts a podcast with my twin brother because he's the rightful number one contender. I've supported hundreds upon hundreds of fighters on this roster over the years to varying degrees, you know, and that's what I am paid to do. Um, So, yes, I believe he was playing a role, and uh, I I just – I think that there have been times since where I have been asked about that. And maybe at times I've, I've leaned into the back and forth a little bit for the most part, I very much lean out of it. I mean, we barely addressed it on our show. Right. Um, but were he to take issue with something that I've said since and not grant me that fighter meeting, I could still do my job and go call the fight, but it doesn't look great to my bosses. Like if a high profile fighter like that isn't willing to do the fighter meeting with me. So hopefully he'll, uh, will give me that chance but um yeah I'm not too uh too worried about uh about any harm coming my way
1: yeah I uh, I mean for Colby's sake because you can't take away that the guy's an amazing fighter I mean nobody can say he's not but I hope there is a grand reveal for that dude one day where he you know he, he what says what do you
0: mean grand reveal what do you mean grand reveal? Uh, <laughs> I like the where, grand reveal
1: when his career maybe is over, he says, "Hey, listen, man, it was all an act." You know what I mean? Because he's he's like the most hated guy there is, and he said things that, listen, I I I get it, I get playing a role i get i get all that i get hype in a fight i i know you know muhammad ali was one of the best to ever do it but like there's he crosses lines that i don't understand i the pulling religion and children and i don't understand it you know i think it goes beyond just playing an act but
2: no of course and some of my supporters raj like don't like the fact that maybe i take the stance that i do and candidly the first time i saw what he said it was like a transcript right and my wife saw the transcript but then when My wife saw him say it and saw the venom with which he said it. You know, maybe that struck a different chord. But, yes, he's playing a role unequivocally. Yes, he's gone too far at times. Does he move internal metrics? Is he some big star? Evidently so because he hasn't competed a lot and he's still going to get a championship opportunity. And even me saying that that way, you know, might strike some sort of chord with him, you know. Um, But I just think he needs to. I just think he absolutely needs to fight. I don't know if you're ever going to get that sort of grand reveal. I will tell you guys, like, our fighter meetings with him are fantastic. He's always more than willing to give us as much time as we want. He's always on time, thoughtful with his answers. It's technical. It's tactical, right? It's uh, revealing. So uh, we see that side of Colby Covington. I may never see that side of him again, just given recent uh, things that have happened. But uh, we get the real article in those fighter meetings. We see that other side of him.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Conor McGregor, obviously very much in the news lately. I'm not sure how that's all going to play out. But is he back in USADA pool testing now? Or what's not. the deal with him? I think he was supposed
0: to report to the last one. He didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, at least what I read, he's not going to be able to fight this year.
1: So, the channel yeah, I mean, won't, won't happen this year.
2: Well, there are exceptions that can be granted. But it's certainly looking less so with every passing day. And I just think big picture. It's just tremendously frustrating because – You know, this is a man who very badly wanted to compete against Frankie Edgar back in the day. You know, this man is driven by competition and I'm not trying to make any excuses for the guy. But had that broken leg not happened, I can assure you this guy would have been on a different track and hopefully in a regular competition cycle. Like as we sit here and talk in June of 2023, it's very sad that this is the reality. And there's so many different things that have happened that seemingly could get in the way of him getting back to what he does best. Like he has one win at 155 pounds in the UFC, his best fucking weight class, right? He has one win at 55 in his UFC career against Eddie Alvarez, right? Never even like had a, a uh, an extended run at lightweight to see how he good he could be in that division. It was super fights and Mayweather and 170 pounds, and um, you know as as right as maybe I've been on some things in my career boy was I wrong I thought Conor McGregor was going to compete a lot more and um I don't know man I'm I'm hoping that uh I'm hoping that things turn around and he you know backs up all the words with action in terms of like competing three or four times in a year but uh I don't know not ideal right now boys
1: Yeah he, he you know he just he that's just me. made such a name for himself he he put together big money fights I don't think he ever chased a weight class per se you know
2: No and that's fair I guess I'm just sort of hearkening back to a lot of things that I've heard him say just about his own MMA legacy and his own mixed martial arts quest. And I guess when you get to a point that you're a borderline billionaire, it's like, I understand that goals change and things change. And, uh, you're right to point that out, like not necessarily about the weight class. I guess I just feel like it's a microcosm of some of the underachievement that now defines his career. You know? Yes. I mean, you can never take away the double champ thing. Right. But, uh, you know championship fight wins in the ufc how many of those you win are really telling and um i don't know i just expected more because i felt like that you know he'd enjoy his retirement more if he really had like uh
0: you know more ufc wins and fights i do laurels some more laurels yeah. defend the belt defend one of those right right time. right i don't think you ever, they defended those king of the cage belts got Got the treasure and ran
2: (laughs) yeah and and uh man i've just been uh i've just been wrong you know i just uh i've just been wrong when it comes to connor and uh again the broken leg's a huge factor right i mean look at how long it's taken chris weidman to get himself right and uh it's uh it's a really sad thing you know but i i do have a lot of what if questions for uh for what would happen you know If Connor had just lost a clean decision to Dustin that night, what would the rest of his year held? We'll never know.
1: How crazy is it that Weidman breaks Anderson Silva's leg and then years later happens to Weidman, you know what I mean? And kind of the careers obviously after that were never the same, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, we got Frankie Edgar in retirement fucking falling out of cages, but at least he didn't break a leg. Hey,
0: hey, I'm falling out of cages. You're falling off chairs. Come on, what are we doing here?
2: That's right, that's right. (laughs) I mean, did I set myself up for that one, huh? My goodness. Yeah, that was not ideal. Uh, I my mom needs new chairs. You know, my mom, like she's on the elliptical every day. I don't consider her to be like elderly, but when she's trying to repair this fucking chair, I'm like, Mom, you gotta let the chair go. It snapped in half. We gotta just, you know, RIP to the chair. Yeah, but that was crazy. I was yeah filming my podcast yesterday, and the chair just completely, uh, completely went out. I, my core was not strong enough to keep me upright. I <laughs> you
0: guess. <ain't>
2: How long have you been doing your podcast, John? Eight years. And we were told in April of 2015, when we launched that there were way too many podcasts and that we shouldn't do it, you know, and uh, we didn't really start making money on it until this year. Right. Kenny Florian for probably six or seven years, him and his wife probably cursing me before bed that he's devoting a big chunk of his Monday to this show. And it's not bringing in any money, but we were committed to uh, the content. And, uh, you know, sounds trite but like that's the best way for me to give back to the fans is to provide free content and uh for me selfishly it's an outlet to talk when when things happen uh on pay-per-views or otherwise you know get some things off my chest i feel like there's a therapy there for me um but yeah we just enjoy it and uh obviously it's got a uh a ray longo segment every week which is pretty special to us and uh yeah i mean i call it the little engine that could right still going strong eight years and um you know We'll see what happens. We got Ken Flo on board for another eight. So
1: Yeah, the, yeah. the words, the sentiment is very true of us to hear the champ, the tramp. We've been four years in and it's, you know, it's there's no quick money in the podcast game. That's for sure. So, but uh, consistency, we always say is key and we're, we show, you said Monday, we're here every Tuesday. So.
2: No, that's what it's about. And uh, the part of the reason why we were delayed even six or eight months is I getting Kenny Florian back then to commit to one day a week that it, like we do once we commit once we start like it's every fucking week until you quit and uh ken Flo's no quitter so here we are but uh yeah there were times right where i'm wondering why i'm taking so much time away from my family when i'm already away 100 nights a year and i had a lot of answers to those questions but uh they certainly weren't green answers you know
1: what's the re- reason rogan doesn't do international anymore he only does states right only does states yeah, yeah. joe <laughs> Yeah, yeah Joe. Joe no. no, he <laughs> is it. He told family? me
2: you Well, I think that's part of it. Uh, you know, it might be bank account driven as well. He's there need the money from these UFC shows if I can say that. But no, I felt like we got him to commit on the air after Leon Edwards beat Kamaru Usman in Salt Lake City that he would do that third meeting in London and then he had a comedy show or some sort of commitment. Uh, he's a man in demand and the internationals take a lot out of you physically and they take a lot of time to travel to right. Oftentimes Bruce buffer can be in and out sometimes selectively Rogan can be in and out, but it's hard to be in and out in and out with the internationals. For me, I'm going on Tuesday or Wednesday, almost regardless. But uh, yeah, I think just part of it is how long it takes to get there and it takes him away from uh, all of his other initiatives. But I am continuing to push that with him and hoping that selectively for big fights uh, that he'll be there. Like, I don't think we get him to Abu Dhabi. Uh, if we didn't get him to fight Island during COVID, but uh, I think eventually we'll get him back to Europe. Yeah,
1: has he got you? Has he got you doing the cold punch? This guy's heavy into it over here.
2: I think eventually I'll uh, suck it up, but I I believe I told you earlier how soft I am when it comes to the cold. So I just don't know. I did put a sauna in my house because. Uh, you know, we had we had just a, a good space for it. So I have the old school finish sauna that uh, that we try to go in a few times a week. So uh, at least we're doing something.
1: I've done the cold plunge with Frankie, but these guys, I know Rogan's thing is doing it first thing in the morning, which to me is like, that's that's got to uh-huh. be the most brutal time. This guy's now doing okay, it like two seven, weeks, seven two o'clock weeks. every morning. This guy. I love it. It's I love crazy. it. I, I for the
0: longest time I had the cold plunge. I would do it at nighttime after the sauna. And honestly, I kept saying I want to do it in the morning, but I still have the fucking guts to do it. Now yeah, I've been doing it. Now it's like I'll I'll try to talk myself out of doing it and I end up talking myself into doing it. Like I'm <laughs> I'm like addicted to it. It's amazing. I feel like I could get it's to it's like it. these fucking dorks I always telling people to jump in a fucking nice <laughs> stuff, but yeah, it's actually pretty damn uh invigorating, you know. No, and I think
2: when I hear about what it can do for the mental, it it definitely sounds intriguing to me. And I can I can totally see how there could be an addictive component to it. Yeah, if no, you, you do it long enough, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. John, what I heard you had so what was your best job before you got into broadcasting?
2: My best job. So so the most rewarding job I had, I, I taught autistic kids for a long time. In the summers, I would teach the preschoolers, and then after college, I worked as a vocational coordinator. So I would like be charged with getting autistic teenagers' jobs, and then I would be their job coach on site. Dude, when I got fucking Brian Kenny a job at Blockbuster Video, you know, like puffing my chest out. Like, dude, I got that kid a fucking job at Blockbuster Video. He was the best video game putter away in the history of Blockbuster Video, you know. So that was particularly gratifying. I had one student fired from Shaw's supermarket in Sharon, Massachusetts, because he fucking took the ground beef and just let it have it. But – That was my labor of love. Like I always say that if there was money in like being with special needs kids, like that's what I'd be doing. But I was always afraid to be poor. I couldn't pay my rent in Newton, Massachusetts in 2003. And I, I was driven by that fear. And I, that's what drove me from newspapers to radio, to television. I never wanted to be on television. You know, um, I was going to be a newspaper writer and then it's like 15 bucks a story. Like, you know, so I, 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 you know, I don't have anything foundationally or philanthropically that's like a big organization. You know, I donate to, you know, cancer charities, children's, things like that. But if I were ever to undertake anything other than like father's rights, uh, it would be something relating to autistic children. So maybe I'll get back to that at some point in time. And, you know, I fucking slung plates at Pizzeria Uno and Legal Seafoods and all that.
1: Two questions for you, John. Uh, I think you already answered the one. Who's your favorite fighter? I believe you said uh, Nick Diaz uh maybe maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit where do you think the best fighters come from in the world like where's the best training is it the us or is it kazakhstan now or or, kazakhstan. or not, sorry not kazakhstan afghanistan
2: so well i would say like i would tell people on espn.com way probably 15 20 years ago and we're doing a chat like just go watch nick diaz watch nick diaz paul daly watch that one round fight and tell me what you think about mma right so yeah nick i mean you know, people get upset when I put Charles Oliveira on a pedestal right now as if I'm not some massive Islam Akashev fan as well, but like hard to argue with what Charles Oliveira has done. And I will continue to bang that drum because gosh, man, like the accomplishments are just absurd. Like he's just fought all these guys and has all these big scalps on his resume. So uh, what was the other part of your question? Where do you think the best fighters or the best training? Oh, is in the United States of America. Okay. Just go to just go look at UFC history, right? Daniel Cormier loves this stuff, right? Stars and stripes. Now, I think there is a lot to be gained from Brazil, certainly when it comes to jujitsu. jitsu I certainly think that city kickboxing has emerged as a place where even someone like Ian Gary desires to go to New Zealand to see what is in the water down there. It's just hard to argue with that type of success. Certainly what Russia has done in terms of building a foundation, right? If you were to bet on one country to – Produce a lot of champions in the not too distant UFC future. I think Russia is a country that I would bet on. You know, Poland maybe as well. But look what the United States of America has accomplished in UFC history. Frankie Edgar, a huge part of that, right? I mean, don't make me sing the fucking Star Spangled Banner. I hope all of your listeners will go to Wikipedia as I have done, right? Because I wanted to know and I couldn't believe the American success, particularly in the UFC, so much so that I sent this along to Daniel Cormier. So, uh, yeah, USA, baby. People
0: come here. Amen, amen. Yeah, um they all come here to train, bro. Yeah. They all come to ah. train. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come on.
1: <laughs> you put no, up, all right put up most of the Dagestan guys. <laughs> yeah, I did. I had quite a few of them. Quite a yeah. few,
0: condo.
2: yeah. No, it's. uh I do think sometimes like patriotism is a little bit lost in this country. Certainly. When it comes to, I mean, I often wish that we would do a national anthem before these UFC live events. Because when we're in Brazil, they let that thing go, and uh, now it's not part of our live event, though, right? So it's, it's, uh, you know, like Rogan's not even out there yet. I mean, he's not in Brazil, right? But the, you know, I'm out there pretty early, right? Like Buffer's not out there. Buff's waiting for a crowd so he can come out and have his fucking moment, you know. But. Uh, but, yeah, I love the Brazilian National Anthem, and I just think, uh, you know, sometimes, like, all of a sudden I'm hearing, like, USA chants, and I'm like, oh, that's nice, you know, to cheer on the, the American UFC fighter, heaven forbid, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm with, I'm yeah, with you. Yeah, we're very lost as a country right now. I don't want to get into that, but we got to get back to, to that. It's more patriotism. We we definitely need that. So it's scary, Tom. You're, you're a dad of three. I'm a dad of two. This guy's got three, and things need to change for our children for sure. Yeah, it's... Uh...
2: Yeah man it's a crazy time to be bringing kids into this world. I just had uh you know a nice little battle with my daughter before I came over here with you boys, you know. It's an interesting navigation just in terms of uh some of the stuff that's out there and uh you know wanting to simultaneously like balance your kids social lives with all the terrible things that come with allowing them to do certain things. So uh I know you guys at at least I know Frankie's a little bit ahead of me as far as some of that stuff's concerned but uh shit's getting real.
0: It doesn't get easier as it goes, that's for sure. Little yeah. problems become big problems. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. I have a son that's gonna be in high school next year. That's insane. And that's he's insane. got his first girlfriend and whew, it's, it's bananas, man. It's a beautiful thing, man. I love that kid's
2: lettuce too. It's amazing. You watch these kids grow up though on Instagram. And that I will say, of all the uh you know, of all the demerits and the negatives, it is cool that, you know. Um, that you can connect and feel like you're connected with other people's families a little bit from afar, you know, um, even if you haven't met their children, you know, but yeah, my son, uh, I have, I have two girls and a boy. My son turns five on Friday. He's coming to this event in Jacksonville. He thinks he wants to be like a UFC fighter right now. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) but no, I mean, it's probably not happening, you know, but, uh. uh, He's very excited to come to this show. It's a matinee right in our home state of Florida. It was like the perfect storm, so I'm excited to share that with him. I've never been so excited to have one individual in the building than to have my son at the UFC event, so we're very, very excited for this weekend.
1: That's amazing. John.
2: (laughs)
0: My man, pleasure talking with you.
2: Dude, we got to do a uh, little cross-promotional business where we have the two of you guys on the Anakin Florian podcast. Maybe we'll do it. We'll try to do it out of courtesy to you guys where we'll tape it on a Tuesday so you guys would be in studio, right? Yeah, we'll so we'll you... make
0: anything work. All I'll right. Make anything well, work yeah, but it. get you guys
2: in studio for a half hour, maybe before your show, tape something with us, and then you can fucking do your thing. But thanks for having me, and uh, maybe we'll uh, do something in person in November uh, around that MSG show or something.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll, I'll, I'll see you before then now uh, for sure. My man, I might have some new ink with that FE. Let's go. (laughs)
1: Let's go. Thank you, boys. Appreciate you, you, John. Thank you so much.